welcome to the Driftless Makers podcast, coming to you from the Platteville Business Incubator. I'm your host, Kate Koziel, Executive Director at the Incubator and Recovering Entrepreneur. The podcast features interviews with business owners from across Southwest Wisconsin, sharing their hacks and backstories on their road to success. You'll also hear from area experts on legal, financial, and other business operation experts to learn how to avoid the pitfalls and navigate the peaks of running your own business. The Driftless Makers podcast, bringing you the hacks, horror stories, and humor of running your own business. Hello, you are with the Driftless Makers podcast, and I'm Kate Colziel, Executive Director of the Platteville Business Incubator. And today we have the opportunity to talk to Joe Schwarty of Joseph Schwarty Custom Furniture. Welcome, Joe. Hi. So tell me, what do you do? I pull a rabbit out of my hat a lot of times. it's That's a good trick. I, <laughs> these days, I, I'm focusing more on, uh, I've always liked chairs, kind of collected chairs. And now I make them. And that's what I'm focusing on currently. If the listeners haven't had a chance to see Joe's work, it is stunning. Like impeccable quality, beautiful design. To me, it is like a piece of art you can sit on. And now I know you, you know, had many episodes of your life and you worked construction and you were in the service and many, many phases. Tell me a little bit, how did you come up with this iconic chair that I'm I'm thinking of, one of the ones that you're making currently. How did you come up with that design? Was it a, a process? Where, what was your inspiration? How did you get to that? I'm not sure which chair you, you mean, but the the ones that I've sold recently, well, the, the, the stool, I hate the word, a perch, uh, that actually was inspired by Emil J. Paydar and Sons barber chairs. As a boy the, sitting in the barber chair, the barber pushes your head down to shave the back of your head. And Emil J. Paydar and Sons, Chicago, Illinois, I can still see that. And so I, when I built a stool, I thought I'm going to put a footrest on it. But the basis of, of anything I'm trying to do is to to strip the structure to uh, to its minimum. So to be lean and sculptural. Uh, and comfortable. Uh, so that's that stool. The chair, one the chair you might be thinking of, the lounge chair, that. Um, <clears throat> I had a friend, uh, a Chicago artist, um, Ed Paschke, and he would say, you know, if you're going along and think everything's hunky-dory, um, you need to challenge yourself. And that chair came about when I wanted to make something that looked like the uh, a calligrapher's um, character. Oh, I can uh, see that now. And so in profile, the frame of that chair, uh, it looked like, <laughs> to me, it just has that ca- characteristic. And I, I showed it to um, <laughs> well, Bernice at the clinic, her mother, when she was alive at the time, she's Japanese. And I said, does this mean anything bad? She said, <laughs> no, it's okay. So so the challenge of it was it has these curved, tapered components. And so making the joinery in these curved, tapered pieces, these half-lap joints, um, th- that was my challenge. And uh, it, and it worked out. 
Yeah, it's lovely. There's something almost clean and simplistic, but almost of a bygone error, like a gem that you want to keep, you know? It's a it's a classic, but yet fresh. You have your furniture nationwide, a collection here and there. I know you were based in Chicago for quite a while. Uh, you probably have a lot of, you know, clients and associates down there. How did you get started in furniture of this of this kind of sophistication? Oh, yeah, that's, <laughs> you know, I'd have to uh, invoke Kinky Friedman's um, The Unnamed Arrow Never Misses. <laughs> it was totally unplanned. <laughs> it was about survival and doing whatever was necessary to, I, I was a father at 20. And um, then I was a single dad. And my sisters helped a lot. But at some point, I had to um, face my responsibilities. And so I was doing any kind of job I could. And uh, after I was in the Army, I went to art school on the GI Bill. But I quickly realized I'm not an artist. To me, an artist is someone who can draw and paint. And so uh, I, but I had those yearnings, creative yearnings. And, but uh, in the meantime, I started doing woodwork, um, changing sash weights in apartments in Chicago and uh, hanging shelves and setting locks. And then I got a job with a, a plumber and uh, I, was, uh, I, I was a laborer for a plumber. I learned a lot, but in the, then the recession of 75 came along and the plumber owned a bar in Chicago at Broadway and Devon, and he they were opening it. Come on down. And uh, he sent me down there to help build it. And then, because uh, he knew I always wanted to work with wood, I wanted to get into some clean dirt. And <laughs> <laughs> be careful what you wish for. <laughs> but, but um so, and then I, it just, that's where it started. And it's always been word of mouth. And it's just been just uh, passing uh, something good always seemed to happen. Then eventually, you know, doing carpentry with a partner and uh, he went to school, became a, uh, an architect well, <laughs> and just working on my own. Then a, a fellow came to work with me, Tim Anderson, and he had worked in a cabinet shop before. Now, I had applied to um, Washburn Trade School in the early 70s. Uh, I was in service 66 to 68. And then when I came out and I worked and went to art school briefly, Tim came on the scene and he'd actually worked in a cabinet shop. Right. I, I applied to Washburn Trade School to go to cabinet making school. And by the time I, I was accepted, uh, I, I had my son and I could not be down there at 7 a.m., and uh, <laughs> he was seven years old. I had to make sure he had matching socks and all this to go to school, et cetera, et cetera. So I was just working flexible hours. And this fellow I worked for, the plumber, he let me do that. But then I got these other carpentry jobs on the side. But I still wanted to make cabinets, still wanted to get the, the credentials. Uh, I, I didn't get a college degree. Uh, looking back, I mean, I felt it very keenly, my lack of credentials. I didn't have a union card, didn't have a college degree, none of that. But Tim worked in a cabinet shop, and he 
showed me uh, efficient ways to build cabinets. And also it was very encouraging with the things that I wanted to build, my designs. And he helped a lot. And by the time Washburn came around and said they had a space, I, I was already doing some things and I, I, and I couldn't, you know, uh, go, uh, what is it? 10 or 12 weeks where you don't, you don't get any pay. You don't pay anything. <laughs> and you had to come up with 1200 bucks. This is in the seventies uh, for tools and such. So I passed on my opportunity to go to Washburn, but um, eventually learned these different skills. And then with other just remodeling projects in, in the course of a project, you know, we'd have the architects plans and such. And I remember this one shot, this, this porch in Evanston, and it looked, and I asked the client, I said, well, you know, do you really like this? And she said, well, you got a better idea? And I said, well, yeah. And so I, I, we, we built this revised porch that was much, much cleaner, much cleaner. And uh, that was Liz, Liz Hartley, and she's a friend to this day. And she uh, was a, an interior decorator as well. Oh, and so she got me going with a lot of clients that uh, worked to design things. So yeah. Uh, and those custom pieces, those one of a kind pieces, those does it sit and f really fit for this purpose? Um, yeah. I think would have great draw. Yeah. But, you know, as Sammy Khan says, you know, what comes first? The words of the music first comes the phone call. Yeah. And that's how a lot of things, at least built in things or porches or something like that, but other ideas came because somebody asked. Mm -hmm. And if, if it's just come, picking things out of the, out of the air to build um, that came along later you've had a circular and twisting career path and things have taken you in different directions what would you say is your greatest challenge over your many years of work and life and planning <laughs> terrible at planning in fact you're late for something else right now <laughs> yeah, yeah no i i i um and that was actually something that it would drive Tim crazy because he's a, he's he's a really intense artist and he wants to know everything I'm going to do beforehand. And I tend to jump in and start sorting things out. I wing it a lot, and, but that is kind of the most fun. Yeah, winging it for me. And to see how the woods—I don't know—maybe speaks to you is is too high but yeah, sometimes <laughs> yeah, it works like that. But yeah, but the first really successful piece. Well, actually not the first, but the one that got published as a carpenter, the most interesting part of the building to me, or the most exciting part, I should say, is when it's in its minimal, uh, simplest state, when it's just frame, the, just the, the skeleton of it. And so that kind of led to thinking of an exoskeleton for a chest of drawers. But also, it's really, once again, not so much planning, but serendipitous, because uh, I was in a men's group. And uh, this friend, Steve Austin, he had a, a, a big outfit called Duraweld in Lake Bluff, Illinois. Mm -hmm. And Steve was a businessman, but he had the soul of an artist. Oh. And he enabled me to design things and have them fabricated in steel. Wow. So the frames for the original, uh, these the dressers were steel. Wow. And uh, so that... Uh, 
that was pretty cool. Is that a, is there a name for that that chest that piece? I well at the time I called it a P thirty eight dresser because it had twin oh, booms. That's a lovely name. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> uh, it was yeah. You know, I was building tables that were called Kaga Soryu. <laughs> you know, there were these Japanese carriers sunk in the way. I was naming things after war stuff. You know, oh. yeah. yeah. And where? What was it published in Architectural Digest? No, woodworking it was in, something. Uh, Fine Woodworking Design Book Five. Yeah. September of eighty nine. Yeah, look that one up. Is it still in production, or is it? There are still pieces, or can you still buy Actually, one? Uh, well, I don't make the steel frames anymore. Subsequently, so that was in 88, 89, when I came up with that. <laughs> and uh, then I was applying to this uh, Contemporary Furniture Fair in New York in 2004, and I sent in uh, a piece, and then they said, send in some other things. And I sent in uh, just a snapshot of that dresser. And... <laughs> And they they didn't want the piece that I was submitting, but they wanted the dresser. <laughs> so I had to quick find a way to build it without steel. And I did. And so uh, that that was pretty cool. And uh, I built a few of those. Uh, but then just during COVID, um, a fella in Bosco Bell uh, wanted a dresser and he saw that and he said, I want one of those. So I, I uh, refigured it and I built it uh, with, with using more economical materials, using yeah. uh, Baltic birch plywood, which I really like. I like making drawers. And um, yeah, I, <laughs> I used to, when I was a carpenter, I used to like cutting stairs. When I was building cabinets, I liked making drawers. Now I like making chairs. So I get these fetishes for a while or they <laughs> things I want to pursue and it's, uh, and I don't want to do anything else but and making yeah. stairs alone is tough like you got to get that right well it was when I first started but uh what is it it's um Stanley Bedzinski the uh I think Stanley Stanley Bedzinski it's a little thin book that's all you need to know Right. And a speed square. No, or no speed square. Oh, yeah. That helps. Yeah, they've got a speed square. Yeah. Well, I, I, we didn't have a speed. I just had the the square and then the, um, uh, well, I'm forgetting the terminology, but the, the, the nubs you screw onto the, your, your framing square to set the run and rise. Yeah. yeah. Um, which is why I uh, I refer to in-house talent when things need to be built. <laughs> right. Yeah, I'm not a good builder. I dream that I want to be, and I mess around a little bit. But um, yeah, my husband Dave is much more talented at that stuff. And it seems like every project that I start, I drag him into it. And the projects he starts, he never drags me in. Like he never <laughs> needs my advice. I don't know what that's about, but you know, your just... gifts are elsewhere. <laughs> <laughs> and he, as he wishes, they were far, far, far elsewhere. Yes. Uh, <laughs> So if someone, you know, let's say is, is getting started now, is there something like, is there any advice that you'd give your younger self? Like, I wish I would have, or I should have started, or... Saved money. Saved money. <laughs> here, you've heard it here, folks. Uh, folks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Save some money. Yeah, it's, it, comes, <laughs> it comes in handy later. But um, I think, uh, well, it's... You know, I can't imagine. Um, there's so much information available now. Mm -hmm. I mean, so, so much. And, and so much visual information. You don't have to read anything. 
just uh, you can Google something on how to do it and you'll find out. For me, I and I still refer to our uh, Tafrid uh, joinery, T-A-G-E-F-R-I-D. He was a contributor to fine woodworking uh, from the get go. And his book on joinery is all you ever need to know. Mm. But that's a book. And if if you can read that and understand it, it's good. But uh, I I can't imagine not looking at YouTube on how to do something if right. you want to know. And these days, if right. someone was starting out. But I mean, other than practice, practice, practice. Right. right. Well, there's a little bit of that. You know, you can I think YouTube is marvelous and we you know, hold in our pockets phones and, you know, can connect to anyone and learn about all sorts of things. But then you've actually got to make some sawdust at some point in order to yeah. see how it really works. It, it, working the techniques, you know, those are the things you work on. You have to work on techniques. But if you're thinking of how to design things, for me, design came easy. Hmm. Structure came easy. Uh, that was um, intuitive. And then so how to use that and then embellish it or just to use it to design something. Um, I guess find something that comes easy and don't distrust it. That's what, something that came easy. I distrust it. Mm. As I look back on it, if structure came easy, I thought I must be doing something wrong. Mm. Okay, and, right. Uh, but it, uh, it's at some point you have to recognize what you're good at. Right. So. And I think a lot of business owners, no matter what line they're in, oftentimes they're very good at two or three or four or five elements, but they're not so good at three or four others. And they distrust themselves maybe on where they're strong. And then on the opposite side, they don't always ask for help. Where well, and that's weak. the other thing. Uh, when I was first doing this and working with Tim, that was a very fertile time because working with someone. Uh, now I don't, and so it's uh, <laughs> not so fertile. So you but, talk to yourself. <laughs> I, I do. That's <laughs> that's terrible. So, uh, he wrote a book talking to myself. Yeah, <laughs> Studs Turkle is my personal savior. Yeah, he's pretty cool. He yeah. uh, um, commented and observed, yeah. and yeah. reported back, and um, didn't really hold a lot of, a lot back. Kind of yeah. just let it fly and. Was really I, a storyteller. I met him several times. Really? What was he like? Oh, yeah. If uh, if you were going to interview him right now, I would be interviewing you. Right. Right. And I'd be crying. Maybe. The... No. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> Actually, I have a great stud triple story. Okay. Do you want to hear it? Go for it. Uh, I am uh, once again. It gets back to these credentials. Uh, I was working in this house. This. Uh, uh, Walter Burley Griffin House in Evanston, a, a disciple of Frank Lloyd Wright. And uh, I was doing some work on a staircase. And, oh, wait, I'm getting ahead of myself. I, I met Studs during the blizzard of 79. And I'd been listening to his radio show. And uh, I took the train downtown. There was a blizzard. And I liked playing hooky. But when Je Jeff was in school, I took the train downtown and I'd go to the Art Institute. Cool. I like taking public transportation in a storm. And I, but this time I took the train, the Metro, because it stopped in Rogers Park. And I found it. So I'm in the Metro station downtown. And um, 
I see this guy with you know arm full of books and he's got him like and he's running into the into the men's room and I said and I'm like that's that's Turkle and so <laughs> and I didn't follow him in and I waited for him to come out and he comes out and then I I forget exactly what I said but you know ham ham and ham and ham big fan all this all this and then of course he starts interviewing me and then said, what do you do I said well, I'm a carpenter so you're a union carpenter and I go, no no I'm not and, <laughs> And then he, you know, he was very polite, but then, so uh, I'm working in this house in Evanston and uh, they're Northwestern professors and they have a house guest who um, is an author. And uh, I have, studs used to be on 10 to 11 uh, WFMT weekdays and uh, the radio is on, studs is on. And this house guest is walking down the hall and she goes, that's studs. And I said, yeah. And so she says, um, uh, I said, oh, she says, I'm, I'm meeting him t- tonight. And I said, oh, gosh. Well, and I told her the story, how I met him. And then I told him I was a carpenter. And when he heard I wasn't a union carpenter, I felt like a door closed in his mind. And he made the excuses, but skipped off. Ugh. And I said, I always wanted to tell him that I had, I, I couldn't be a union carpenter because I had my son, blah, blah, yeah. my son, all this. Right. And she just said, do, do. <laughs> tell him and so i wrote him oh and within uh, you know a fairly short time i got a, a response you know this you know it's been like oh you're right i guess that makes it my mind and so i just thought that was really cool i prize i still have that letter of course <laughs> so um and I would see him now and now and again, and you know, and he he had an uncanny recall. He remembered people, but when um, when he died, uh, they it was Halloween, and I was driving in from the coming in the north. I just crossed the line in, into Wilmette on Halloween of whatever year he died. It's probably at least ten years ago now, but. They were soliciting stories. I don't know what I'm thinking. I pull over and I call in WFMT and I say, this is Joe Schwarty. And I've got a struggle story. And I told them about oh. the, the encounter at the train station and all this. And I said, and uh, I later wrote him, but he, it was much later that that son that I was raising, uh, he went on to be a carpenter, a union carpenter. Oh. And I thought that that was a nice connection. Oh. It kind of came, bring everything full circle. And uh, so, so the, the next day I had a, a, an appointment to look at a job in Evanston and I pull up in front of the place a couple minutes beforehand and they were playing some of the tributes that people phoned in. Oh no. And I pull up to the curb and I hear my story and I was like, oh no. Oh. But yeah, I listened to it, and it was like, yeah, it's not so bad. <laughs> <laughs> and when I got home, I had a call from um, uh, from a client down on Lakeshore Drive. And she's, Joe, I heard your interview, and it was fabulous. <laughs> so I felt pretty good about that. That's interesting, the happenstance connections and meetings and you know and even preconceptions that some people have that union is good and non-union oh you don't make the cut but people take different paths and different avenues and they have different pressures on their life and you know I think what you said before about like you know be proud of what you've done and don't dis 
credit things that come easy to you. Uh, that's that's great advice. Um, cool. Of all, uh, final question, and then I'll let you get on to the rest of your day. You, you've passed. I'm going to give you an A+. Plus. Um, what are you most proud of? My kids, my sons. Yes. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is Kate Colziel. We have had the pleasure of talking to Joe Shorty of Joseph Shorty Custom Furniture. If you have not seen his exoskeleton piece or any of his other pieces, go find them. His work is lovely and uh, he is equally charming. So um, if you're pursuing uh, design or you're pursuing carpentry, whatever, just, you know, as, as Joe wisely said, follow your passions. And even if you don't have a plan, just keep moving ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Joe, for joining us. This is Kate Colziel. I'm the executive director of the Platteville Business Incubator. And if you're starting a business, feel free to talk to us. We'd be happy to set you on the right trail. Thanks for listening to the Driftless Makers podcast. Thank you, Kate. The Driftless Makers podcast is hosted by Kate Colziel with the Platteville Business Incubator with sponsorship from the Wisconsin Economic Development Corporation and Prosperity Southwest. We work closely in conjunction with our partners at Wibbick and SBDC and the Idea Hub. You can learn more about Driftless Area Entrepreneurship and the Platteville Business Incubator by visiting pbii.org.